Welcome to the Kick Pod, your weekly DM on the stuff that matters. Hey, Lawsy. I just tried to clap. Oh. I'm not sure why. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> We've been doing our ISO recording for so long now. I was going to say, you'd think we'd be, we'd be good by, by now, but hey, here we are. Well, we're in the last episode <laughs> of this season and this we whole were. season has been recorded in, in ISO. Yes. It's yes. funny because, well, it's not funny. It's obviously been terrible what's been going on in the world. But like when we first started and COVID was like just starting, we just started doing the ISO um, podcast. I really didn't think we'd be doing it for this long. Mm. So it just goes to show this global pandemic is really, it's been like three months. Yeah, I think so. Crazy. Anyway, how are you? Anyway, I'm good. I'm really good. <laughs> I'm sad that this is the last mm. episode. We're only taking a two-week break. Don't worry. We yeah. will, we will be last right time. back. Um, and thank you for all the feedback on the podcast as well. We're continuing this type mm-hmm. of um, style. Conversational chat. Conversational yeah. chat. We really um, enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And our guest for the first podcast, should, should we... Say who it's going to be? Yeah. Shall we? Why not? Okay. So we've got Cardia Milan for the first episode of the third season, hmm. which will be two weeks away. Anyway, um, and before we get into our special shares, we have got something to say thank you for all of your support yeah. of the podcast um, and to get you through the break <laughs> if you miss us. No, 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 you won't. Don't worry. Um, uh. But it is a 50% off code to keep it cleaner. Mm. What is it? So it's 50% off your first month if you sign up to the month-to-month subscription. And 50% off your first month brings it to under $10 for that first month. And like any other time when you would sign up to our program, you can cancel at any time. So you can give it a go for the first month. If it's not for you, totally fine. We don't lock you into anything. The code is KICKPOD50. I'll pop that in our show notes so it's nice and clear with a link um, to sign up. But yeah, join our amazing community. They're from all over the world. So no matter where you're listening um, from, this code is valid and it's valid till the 20th of June. So you've got three days to use the code. Well, I mean, obviously, depending on when you listen to this podcast. (laughs) So if it's past the 20th of June, I'm sorry. It's it's gone. (laughs) So now for our special shares for the week. Do you want me to go first? Sure. Sure. Okay. So mine is, um, I just want to actually, so last week Mm. I shared our, uh, my special share was our Keep It Cleaner list of things that we recommended to uh, listen, watch um, and read um, on the Black Lives Matter movement and and the history. And I want to actually go back to that list and and choose, pick Mm. one out to talk about um, with you guys. If you haven't got to watching it yet, it is uh, Netflix. It's kind of like a documentary series. It's four episodes. It's when they see us. um, And it is really very hard to watch, but it's so important to watch. Mm. It, it's one of those things. And w- when I watch it as well, I, I read a quote on Instagram and it said, it, a lot of people have been posting and it said something like, if it makes you feel uncomfortable to watch it, imagine or learn about exactly. it, imagine experiencing yeah. it. And I just kept thinking of that the whole time I was watching. Um, it, it's just, it's one of those things where you, you can't believe that it's real life, mm. but it is. Um, and I highly recommend, um, watching it. it was it's super eye-opening um it's also devastating but I think it's just so important as we've yeah. spoken about to be educated about what has happened in the past um to create the change yeah absolutely oh I think that's the thing is the ones that are going to be the most kind of uh horrible to either listen to or, or learn about it's it's important that you 
are aware mm. of everything that has gone on in history and that still goes on today. Um, and my kick special share for the week is also from that list. It's the 1619 podcast, which is kind of like brushes up on American history. Um, like the, I think the first episode or two um, touch on black slavery and, and they touch on so many different things. And then it even ends to a more recent kind of thing. So it talks to, you know, how it's definitely still apparent that, mm. you know, racism is definitely still apparent and um, racial injustice is still around and all that sort of stuff. So it wasn't, it's not too long either. Like I think it's only like five or six episodes. Um, but I just thought it was really eye-opening. And I think there was parts that I think in the back of my mind I was aware of, like definitely p- particularly around the um, the first couple of episodes, American history-wise, I remember in school, like touching on it. But I think you know, when you're so young and you don't realise how much this might actually, um, well, how important it is to know about one day, you know, Mm. you kind of like brush past it in things like school when you're so young. And I just think it was really important to kind of re-listen and re-jog my memory on a lot of those facts. So highly recommend that podcast. It's by the New York Times. um, And there's a lot of real stories in there and a lot of real people who talk um, to it. And yeah, I just highly recommend that. So that's mine. Well, thank you for sharing. <laughs> and now for today's episode, which I think is the longest episode we have done this season. Oh, but and for good reason. It's full of love. And who is our guest today? So our guest today is Khan Ong. So you might know him from MasterChef um, or maybe he, he's DJed something that you've done before. He's He's been everywhere. And I think that's one thing that I really loved in our chat is he goes through his whole kind of career history, his whole journey in life, like all the different things he's tried um, and his passion for everything that he does is just so amazing his smile is also the most infectious Mm. smile ever he's just just a gorgeous person inside and out and a dear friend to both of us and we were so excited when he said that he could come on the podcast um you learn a lot about his upbringing his incredible past which I think a lot of people aren't aware of um what he's been up to what he's got coming up um and he's just got a lot of wisdom he's just he's been through a lot in life and um, has a really good way of, of looking at life and learning from things. Mm, and something that I loved so much about this podcast and, and about Khan is how he owns his story and he owns who he is. And I think it is so inspiring to see someone own everything about them with so much confidence. And yeah, it was it was such a special chat. There are some tears, so make sure you get some tissues ready. Um, and of course, there's lots of laughter as well. We really hope you enjoy this one. Hello and welcome. Hi, hi, hi. I'm so excited. I'm actually really, really excited. This is very cool. <laughs> we love that honestly we are so excited to have you too i wish we could do this in person because we very much miss your company oh i miss you guys too i just like it's so weird that like we're coming out of covid but at the same time not nothing's really happening yet like no one's really hanging out or anything it's like i see like four people for dinner i'm like how cool is this we're at dinner (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's so true it's like slowly slowly creeping back to normal which is great which is whatever the new normal is Exactly, because we we really don't want a second wave. No, no, we don't. Now, it's been, obviously, with COVID and so many other things, 2020 has been a massive year. How are you going at the moment? Um, I'm doing all right. I, um, Mm. I, I, I kind of found myself really lucky where I was kind of in lockdown when, Mm. um, COVID was happening. So I was there already and 
because of the whole MasterChef thing, I didn't get mm. to experience a lot of it. Um, and when I came back out, it was kind of like the norm. And you and you would have to because would you, you? There's certain stuff like you wouldn't be able to share or do on social media anyway during that time. So it probably would have. Yeah, so we we were we were getting in trouble a lot because we were all posting with each other, <laughs> and it was just kind of like it was like guys, stop putting up stories of you at dinner. It's like yeah, but I'm having dinner. I'm like I, I can't post me having dinner by myself for six months. So it was just kind of like we were tagging, we were all tagging each other, and we were getting into so much trouble for it. And be like, it's gonna leak that you're still in the competition. Like oh, but it's all right. <laughs> <laughs> Especially because, I mean, when was it last week on MasterChef or the week before where it became COVID? Because mm-hmm. obviously it's delayed, then all of a sudden it was all good. And then, I mean, it was funny watching it while COVID was going on because, like, the judges eat from the same plate and, like, everyone's so close and tasting food. And it's now such an, honestly, an odd concept to look at people being so close and sharing mm-hmm. food. And then all of a sudden it was like, okay, no, now now it's COVID time. Yeah, well, now it's COVID time and, like, you can actually see how far in advance the show is actually recorded because of the fact mm. that it only hit, like, a week and a half ago, but COVID's been going on for, like, three months. Mm, so it's, yeah. like, it's, it's been kind of it's been kind of crazy. Um, the, the hardest thing when COVID hit for us was, one, not tasting each other's food and, secondly, not being able to touch each other. That sounds really weird, but, mm. like, we are so used to kind of getting that feedback um, from each other. So, like, high fives, hugs, like, little, like, mm. shoulder rubs, anything in that kitchen is really nice. And that mm. was gone. That was completely just gone. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. It's, um, but anyway, love watching it, as you know. <laughs> Big fan <laughs> over your shoes. I know, I know. I, like, I watch her inside and I'm like, she's so cute. <laughs> I love it. I just, I can't believe, we're going to get into the podcast in one second, but I just have to say one thing. I just, I can't believe the skill level this year. Like even last week, you had to make toasties. And I was like thinking, oh, I might, if it was me, I always think like, if it was me, what would I do? Like, I'll never be a MasterChef. I'm like, I might put some leg ham in there. You know, the the one from the packet, like the slimy one with like the cheese. And then you guys all like made your own butter and then you made the parmesan crisp. And I was like, in 15 minutes, I I couldn't even think of like adding anything more than ham. And you're going, it's just, it's actually amazing how incredibly talented you all are. To be honest, when you put it in a, that situation, it just has to happen. Because I remember the toasty challenge. I went in being like, I only eat like Vegemite toasties or cheese toasties. I don't really yeah. do anything else to it. So I'm like, how do I make this cool? I'm like, oh, make the problem the good part. Like where, where you put too much cheese and it oozes out because that's the best part. Mm. Honestly, amazing. Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> to, to get into it, we'd love to start, Khan, with your childhood. And you have got such an incredibly inspirational story. And thank you so much for being willing to share it with us and our audience. We appreciate it so much. So we'd love to start back when you were born, um, if you could talk us through that. Um, well, obviously, I don't remember when I was born. I don't think many of us do. <laughs> but I will try my best. Um, wow. So, from what I know, I was born in a um, so a refugee camp in Indonesia. My parents came over um, to, well, tried to come to Australia via boat um, in, I think it was 80, 88, I think, was when they left Vietnam. Um, so, and obviously, it all went weird and they got detained so um they were processed on an island um off indonesia really close to singapore called galang um they lived there for four years so i was born about a year and a half into their kind of stay there um mum worked as a seamstress on the island dad 
chopped wood. I think those were their occupations. And he also, he told me this later, but I don't know if he's lying, but it kind of makes sense because I do remember Mm -hmm. this. Um, He used to wrangle snakes. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, I don't. I I kept being like, it's not true. It can't be true. And she goes, do you not remember playing with any snakes? And I was like, I do, but I thought that that's not real. And she goes, no, no, you love them. Like, I was apparently obsessed with these snakes and Dad would know the ones that are venomous and ones that weren't. And outside of Australia, not many are venomous. Mm. Um, So he remembers um, baby anacondas. And the whole time, Mum was yelling at him, apparently, because she's like, it's going to strangle him. He's going to die. He's going to get crushed. But I was in love with them. And it makes total sense to me now because I love snakes. Like, I'm obsessed with snakes. I think they're the coolest things in the world. Like... (laughs) Oh, anyway, that's a weird little tidbit for you. Um, Yeah, so when I was two, my parents got processed. um, And by processed, I'm pretty sure what happens is they make enough money to pay their way out. I think that's how that works. Um, That's what mum kind of alluded to, that, like, the faster you can make the certain amount of money to pay for the fees and everything, the faster you can come to whatever country you're meaning to go to. And um, so, yeah... um, we came over here. It was a really cool kind of experience for mum and dad. They were like, oh, yeah, we got to go on a plane for the first time. Um, it was a boat to, like, an uh, airport in Malaysia, and then they flew over. Um, and we stayed with our auntie and uncle, who weren't really our auntie and uncle. They just had the same last name as us, so we called them our mm-hmm. auntie and uncle, which was really <laughs> sweet. We did that for a couple of years before mum and dad actually found their own place. Yeah, so that's kind of what I know from zero until five years old. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's a, it's, it's, it's weird because there's a lot of... I'm actually writing um, a novel about it right now. So I've been actually researching heaps and talking to mum and, like, our family members heaps. And, like, half of the stories that are in there are just ridiculous. Like, mum was telling me how we were sh- um, they were shot at the first half of the trip. So before they got to the island, they were shot at by... Um, pirates because what happens is the pirates always target um, refugee boats because they have all their belongings, all their valuables Mm -hmm. with them because they're trying to start a new life and they're not going through banks. So it's just like they just bring gold. Um, So Mm -hmm. that's what they were after and someone died and they had to leave him in the ocean. And I was like, what is this story, mum? Like, I don't understand if this is a real story. She goes, it's 100% real. I'm like, how can this be a real story? Do you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's kind of surreal. So... Knowing that, like, my parents kind of... There's so many other stories that have happened during that. But, like, yeah, that's kind of one of my little things. Oh, That's crazy. I mean, such an experience at such a young age even. And as you said, you're still learning things now about, yeah. like... It's, it's kind of like... Mum and Dad didn't even speak to me about it until I was, like, 13, 14. Mm-hmm. I kind of just knew that I was a refugee. I didn't really know anything more than that. I didn't know that, like their family weren't into them being together. The country, like they, they were nine years apart kind of thing. So my grandparents mm-hmm. just hated dad. Um, and so that was partially the reason they were, they left as well. And thinking like, if my parents didn't leave Vietnam, they probably wouldn't have been together, which means I probably wouldn't have come about. So it's just mm-hmm. like one moment completely changed their life, but can change, they, it completely changed my life because I may not have existed. Mm. Yeah. Oh, that's incredible. And I mean, they sound, they sound incredible and obviously sacrifice so much. Do you reckon mm-hmm. the people that they are, has that shaped you become who you are today? Yeah, definitely. Um, 100%. They, 
My parents are amazing. They're lovely. My mum, my, my dad actually passed away when I was 15, mm-hmm. but mum, mum's been like the most supportive thing that I've ever had in my life. She worked hard when dad passed away. We grew from a business of a butcher shop to her now owning like multiple stores um, and the real estate as well and houses. And that, that's what she does now is just commercial mm-hmm. real estate. And it's just like, it's incredible seeing someone who was going through a really hard time in her life kind of just flipped that on its head in the mm. first like couple of years it's, it's actually really um mum and I had a conversation about it about a month ago and I was like oh so how did you think that you would still own a butcher shop she goes I didn't until one of dad's best friends because all the butchers kind of like lived like they mm. were all friends so in the area all the people who owned butcher shops were friends and apparently one of them had said to another one that watch as the business fails in the next year when dad passed away and mum was like oh fuck that yeah. And she like, and like, yeah, it's literally the, like the busiest butcher shop in Springdale. And I'm just like, oh, she's like, well, so good. yeah, she was just, she's the best. She's like so strong. Oh, that's, that's so special. And I'd love to know as well, did you, obviously you said that your parents didn't really speak to you about being a refugee until you were 13 and you learn a lot more about it. Did you ever feel like it made you different or, cause obviously now you're such an incredibly confident person, which is so special and, and mm. so inspiring, but. And, and I've heard you speak about your primary school experience and, and that you loved it. Mm. And then you went into high school um, at Halebury to start with, which is also just incredible that your parents work so hard to yeah. send you to such an incredible school. Mm. Yeah. D- did it ever make you feel kind of like, and I suppose, how did you work through it? Um, so, different? Yeah, so definitely. I, I actually, I've, I've spoken about this before, but um, you don't really think that you feel different when you're young. Like, as mm. in, like, you don't actually, you don't think of, I don't know how to explain this. You don't actually it's your put, normal. Yeah, it's my normal. But now looking back, I'm like, I knew I was a refugee. I knew I was gay. Um, I I was fine. I was like out there. I was hanging out. But, but I kind of hit all of that the best that I could. But it wasn't like, oh, I'm not a refugee. I'm not gay. It was more kind of like, let's talk about something else. So it was always, mm. like, sidestepped. Um even, like, when I was at school, I would, like, the bringing different food to school. Like, I always think about that. And I'm like, now I would love to. But back then I was like, I just want a sandwich because like, I don't mm. want people to see that I'm different. Um, so that was happening hates. But in high school and in primary school, I didn't ever really think about it. So it didn't really affect me. But I think that's a subconscious thing that the whole time it was happening. But it wasn't a massive thing to me at the time. But now I'm like... It was huge. Like it, it, like it probably changed the way I interacted with people um, because I got I got a lot stronger around the fifteen year old age when I did come back to Halebury because I went to Melbourne High for like a couple of months and I didn't fall in love with the school. I, felt I was in love with Halebury, so I went back and I was like totally different. I was like, we came from Vietnam. This is what I do. I'm gay, mm-hmm. and that's kind of where that confidence kind of started from. Mm-hmm. And is that where you? came out for the first time? Was it when you went back to Halebury? I was out the first time at Halebury. I think I was out in, like, year seven or so. Okay. Um, but then when I went to Melbourne High, being an all-boys school, um, mm. I kind of just, like, went back in the closet, just didn't speak about it, didn't say I was straight, just didn't speak about it. It was kind mm. of, like, just took the train every day in that uniform that, like, it took me 45 minutes to get to school every day, and I hated it. I hated the train mm. so much. Anyway, the, the, these are, like, little things that I hated about going to Melbourne High. Like, uh, anyway. But, yeah, so I went back in, and then when I came back to Halebury, I was just like, hey, we're back. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, it's pretty incredible um, that you could go back to school and feel so confident in yourself, you know, at, at that age. Um, it's the school, though. It's, it's yeah. I, I will 100%, if I have kids, I will 100% send my <laughs> kids to Halebury. I <laughs> love the culture. Um, it's not just about the schooling itself. It's about the fact that they did so much um, to kind of include me. Like, they, it's parallel education. There's male and female classes. I wanted to do design tech, but I wanted to do fashion. So I wanted to do fabrics. They only offered it to males as woodworks. But they're like, no, that's fine. I can go into the female class. It's not a problem. And mm-hmm. even, like, that little step, like, it changing how that school worked, it's mm-hmm. amazing. Like, I, I loved it, and I want I cannot speak any high, more highly about the school. That's and nice. I think it's important as well that you said before that, um, and you kind of brushed over it, but I w- would love to speak about it, how you didn't like Melbourne High, so you went back to Halebury. Mm. But I'd love you to explain <laughs> that it wasn't just as easy as going back to Halebury because um, you yeah. had to make it cost the same. And that was yeah. the... Yeah. So it's not Challenge. like you just, you know, got in, you, you went straight back there. You, yeah. you got a full scholarship. Yeah, so um, what happened was mum and I... Mum has this great thing about how she can um, she can let me pretend that I have my way, but <laughs> I don't. So mm. she was like, oh, of course you can get back to Halebury, like anything you want, except Halebury costs like 20K and Melbourne High costs mm. like three. So <laughs> if you can make that happen, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, cool. That sounds really reasonable. I'll do that. Because I was like 14. I was like, yeah, no, no problems. I'll figure out how to do that. And then um, on the ninth, uh, so I went for an academic scholarship and on the ninth of my entrance exam, mum was like, Hey, so uh, Asian families, we do this thing where we go and, like, we play poker, but it's not really poker. It's, like, there's this little square of mahjong. Mm. Um, mm. And I loved it. I used to love it. So I would always go and watch mum. She goes, do you want to go watch me play mahjong? I was like, yeah, I do, I do. And I was, like, <laughs> not thinking that tomorrow I have an entrance exam at, like, 9 a.m. Anyway, yeah. so I'm there and, like, mum and I are just like, yeah, this is so cool. And, like, it's 3 a.m. And I'm just like, yeah, cool, this is really nice. And um, so it's, like, 4 o'clock and mum goes, okay, let's go home now. And I was like, yeah, I need to get up early in the morning. And I was like, wait a minute, what was what was this all a plan to not let me, like, pass the entrance exam so that I didn't have to go back? Because so, the thing is, like, Melbourne High for an Asian parent is the epitome of, like, every single thing that you could do in high school. It was like, you've made it, you've entered an entrance exam, you've going to, like, this amazing school that costs, like, $3,000. Um, and so mum didn't want me to leave, but she was like, well, if he can achieve it, he can. But, um... Yeah, I spoke to her afterwards. She goes, yeah, I definitely invited you that day because I wanted you to not pass the entrance exam so you wouldn't go back. But, yeah, I um, I got a scholarship, the academic scholarship through that, and then I applied for, um, like, a general excellence one as well, so it kind of banked on top. Incredible, and you did it. Yeah, well, I, I, look, I, I was actually pretty miserable at Melbourne High. Um, it's nothing against the school. It was just I wasn't comfortable. Um I hated going to... I hated leaving every morning and going to school. I hated sitting on the train. I hated coming home and having to wait until, like, 5 o'clock to get home because of the train. Mm. Like, I just hated... I hated the fact that the school was so academically inclined. And that's not what I... Like, Mm. yeah, cool, I'm I'm good at math. I was good at English. I was good at science. But that was never what I concentrated on. Um, And I felt as though there was this massive pressure that if I wasn't at the top of this class... Why, why am I here? And I hated mm. that pressure. And that wasn't mm. like, it wasn't the, the same kind of 
like it wasn't the same at Halebury. It was more like we are here to nurture you. Mm. And like, yeah, and that's what I really love. So I was adamant that I did not want to go, like stay there. But mm. I, I, at the same time, I'm like, I was, I need to save my parents $15,000. Like, I, like, I'm like, <laughs> like it's, it's like, it's a really good education. And if I'm going to say no to that, then why am I making my parents pay more for it? Mm. Yeah. Well, good, good on you for that. <laughs> um, you mentioned before about your dad passing yeah. and losing, losing your dad in your teenage years. Talk to us about how you how you got through that. Okay, so that was um that was kind of screwed up because I think if um if Dad had a better like had had chosen to communicate better, then I also think that my life would be completely different. So mm-hmm. he had known that he had cancer, cancer uh, liver cancer, while I was still at Melbourne High. Mm-hmm. None of us knew that. Um, mm-hmm. It took him eighteen months to tell us. And by that stage, it was too far gone and he was basically given, like, six months to live. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, he the, his his reasoning behind it was that um, the businesses, well, the business at the time was growing and growing rapidly and he was like, I, I can't leave it. Like, I can't leave it. Like, if I die, at least this will be around. Um, which is a really selfish, I mean, selfless thing to do, but it's also really selfish because, um, mm. I don't know, I just always, I think about, like, the fact that he would have known for 18 months and just live life normally. Oh. Sorry. Don't apologise. Oh, it's, look, I just think that it's kind of hard that knowing that he knew for 18 months and he was kind of alone through it and he didn't really want to speak to us about it. And I'm like, I get it. He was trying to protect us at the same time. Oh, that would have been horrible. And like mm-hmm. the fact that mum didn't know and then I think about how much that would have affected her as well. Yeah. Oh. Um. Yeah, so we found out in February of um, my, when I was 15. So I was in year 10 at the time. Um, and then that was kind of all we were concentrating on um, for that time. Actually, no, we found out in January because it was like we knew for a good month and a half before he passed away. Because um, so once I started going to all the um, appointments with him, um, it was kind of like you're at the end like this is the like mm. it, this is your time frame i think it's i think they call it stage four um yeah and um mum then was scrambling she's like let's close the business let's just do whatever we can to figure this out and i'd like we she wanted to go to a witch doctor uh, in vietnam before that she wanted to buy bear bile like she was like desperate at this stage like it was not like she wasn't thinking straight anymore it was just like oh my god we're going to spend fifteen thousand dollars on bear bile because it's going to be a miracle cure knowing that it probably wasn't going to work like oh. it's just it's it's used in chinese medicine as like a way to apparently cure mm-hmm. cancer but it if it did then it would have done so already um yeah yeah yeah, so mum was like to dad, hey, we, we should go to Vietnam. There's a witch doctor that I want you to see because she was desperate. It was like any single thing. And um, she actually saw psychics beforehand and they said one one of the psychics called dad the, or mum the night before we went to Vietnam and was like, 
get ready for a funeral. And I was just like, whoa. Um, the night before we left for Vietnam, Dad was adamant he didn't want to go. He never wanted to go to Vietnam. He didn't want to die in Vietnam. He didn't want to be buried in Vietnam. He's like, I want to be buried here, so I don't want to leave. So the night before we were supposed to leave, we had all our tickets and everything. He passed away that night. And it was just Mum being like, he got his way there and he just didn't want to go. And, yeah. But that was that was crazy as well because I, I remember we were having dinner and then he went to sleep and he just didn't wake up. Mm-hmm. And I, But, like... I, like, I'm emotional about it now, but at the time, I was just kind of like... I called the police, and I was like, I think my dad just died. And I was so matter-of-fact about it. And I was like... And that's kind of how I dealt with it for the next year. I basically went to school the next day. It was all fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I Like, I was not as emotional at all. I literally just went to school, and, so, like, if someone was talking to me about something, I would just, uh, be like, oh, blah, 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 how was you know? I was like, yeah, my dad passed away last night. But it was, like, the most straight-faced conversation mm-hmm. that you have ever seen. And never wanted to talk about it. Didn't want any street, um, any kind of special treatment for it. And just left it. And then blew up in year 12. <clears throat> so, in year 12... Mum, we were driving home one night and this, um, and she was kind of talking to me about like, uh, talking to some man and like, like the possibility of like moving on and things like that. And I remember the whole car ride. I was like, I don't want to have this conversation with you. Mum. I don't want to have this conversation. And she just kept going. I was like, I do not want to have this conversation. And that went on for about five minutes of me just going, I don't want to talk about this. I really don't want to talk about this. And then she wouldn't stop so I think we were rolling up to a red light and I literally undid my seatbelt opened the doors and rolled out of the car like I was full scratched up like because we were still kind of driving it was like we were rolling and then I was just like I don't want to so I ran um I got home and then this like a month or two before VCE finished um which is the end of high school kind of certificate that you get and I made a decision then and there that no matter what happened I was going to move to London so I ran away. Like mum and our relationship was horrible at this point. I just um I was I was an absolute I was horrible. I was a horrible child. Um oh, you're just going through so much. I was so rude. Like I was snappy. I didn't ever want to speak to her. I I would always eat and go sit in my room. I just never wanted to have a conversation. Oh my god. Hey guys, good morning. <laughs> oh. uh, yeah. Um yeah, so I ran away to London after VCE finished. I left and um decided that I was gonna study fashion design. That's what I've always wanted to do. I was doing um after school classes at Melbourne School of Fashion from the age of fifteen. So like two hours Monday and Wednesday to learn how to like so and to make patterns and to and fashion business i was kind of doing all of that so i, I decided to move to london i flew over i lived in shoreditch for eight well, six months i hated it like i hated it so much like i i remember like going to central st martin's and being like this place is so cool and then coming home and being like what is this? Like, uh, what am I doing? I have no friends here. It's cold. I hate the cold. The streets are small. I don't know what to do and I'm lonely. And it was like the worst experience I reckon I've ever had in my life. Um, cause I've never felt that uncomfortable. Um, so I came back. Um, I think that if I left at a later age, I would have been okay. But being there at 18 was mm. just not, it was just not okay. And then like, 
trying to find a job. It was just all so much. And when I came back, I kind of spoke to mum. Again, we were, like, trying to figure it all out. And it was, like, a lot of, like, cooking together, me apologising for being an asshole for the last, like, three years. Um, Yeah, and then I moved out. I, I, we, we decided that for our relationship to be good, I couldn't live at home because mm. it was partially me living at home and being a dick all the time that was really the problem. So I said to mum, I think that I should really just live, like when I lived in London, I lived alone and I'll do the same thing now because I can survive. But I think it's going to be a lot better for us if I do this. And so I, I've been out of home since I was 18, but not because I was kicked out or anything. It was, it was more mm. to save that relationship. And, like, mm. I'm so glad I did because, like, I love her. She's amazing. She worked so hard and I was just such an asshole for those years. Yeah. Oh, can't. It's so ha- sad to um, to hear you talk that mm. way because you, I mean, we spoke before <laughs> about how you, um, I suppose, didn't talk about in high school, like, the fact you're past it and I suppose your history, which now, you know, makes you who you are. And then I yeah. suppose having, having to deal with that as well. And I know as well, I do that sometimes. I'm, if I, if something makes me feel upset, I just don't want to talk about it. But then I think then when it builds up, it, it you know, it, it is, it just gets you because you, you've not dealt with it for so long, but it, yeah. it's so amazing that you've been able to. And, um, I think, I mean, Steph would be exactly the same. We just want to say, like, we, your your dad would be so, mm-hmm. I mean, you would know this, but so proud of you. I mean, you're on, the, I mean, obviously being on MasterChef is amazing, but as yeah, as, as a human being, you are so special. And, and I mean, the Thank T-shirt you. you're wearing right now, you are loved. Like, it is so special. And we're going we're gonna to touch on that later. But you are such an incredible person. And, and, I'm, and I know he would be watching over you um, and smiling. Thank you. The, the whole time. Yeah, thank um, you. So now from fashion design, you then became a DJ. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, oh, my story is so random because I think I've had... It's like, not random. It's, it's, not it's random. Incredible. interesting. <laughs> it's, incredible. It's like I've had like so many career changes and like things like that. Like I've... In high school, I, I, I wanted to be a plastic surgeon. Like, mm. I wanted to be, I wanted to work in reconstructive Cute. surgery. I did biology, chemistry, every single thing <laughs> up until year 11 to align myself to kind of make me do that. And then after dad passed away, that was like the end. I was like, I don't want to do this. Like, it was kind of mm. me being like, this is a field that you guys would be happy with me doing that I would probably be happy doing. So it was kind of like mm. a negotiation because like, mm. they were like, it's Asian family, lawyer, doctor kind of vibe, but. If I was going to be a doctor, I was like, no, I don't want to be a doctor. I want to be a reconstructive surgeon. Like, I really Mm. just, that's what I want to do. Um, And then that changed, went into fashion design, moved around. When I came back to Melbourne, I went to RMIT. But at that time, I was kind of working... I was hosting in nightclubs because why is that mm-hmm. a job? Why do you get paid to go I did to that. I was going to say, I, like, I think everyone's done that in their life. <laughs> yeah, why do you pay? Like, why is that a job? How is I that know. a job? Like, I, I remember when I was 18, I was like, I'm getting paid $100 to go to a club this weekend, guys. Like, how cool is that? Um, I got 25 so, so, <laughs> I got $25. So. <laughs> you are killing it. <laughs> Laura, you, I don't even think that you would have liked clubs. Like, I don't. I have this mental image of you just like, nah. And then when we go out and you have a drink, I'm so blown away. I'm just like, Laura's drinking. Laura's drinking. <laughs> 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 um, oh gosh. 
Yeah, so um, yeah, I I worked in nightclubs for a while, and um, this is such not an okay thing for nightclubs to have done in the back in the day, but they did this. Um, I remember Seven Nightclub used to have a night called that time of the month, mm-hmm. where it was mm-hmm. literally just all female DJ, DJs, and I was like, how is that like PC right now? Like it it would yeah. not be like they would yeah, just anyway. Um, they were like, that includes gays as well. So, they were, <laughs> so yeah, so that was my first gig. They were, they were like, do you want to try DJing? And I was like, cool. So I rocked up to Seven Nightclub with like four CDs and like Elizabeth and Neil's headphones because she was DJing at the time. And I was like, <laughs> stop and start music and just play whatever I wanted. Um, and it was so fun. And I did that for a couple of months. I did that one party and then about... I don't know, four months in, Elizabeth, who's one of my best friends now, um, was like, you probably should actually learn how to DJ because it seems like you're, yeah. you're doing it. And I was like, okay. So I came over, <laughs> she taught me a little bit and it kind of blew up from there. It was like from that one month, it became like a, a, a fortnightly residency and then I started playing at uh, boutique and then cushion and all of those and then Eve and all of those nightclubs yeah, around Eve. Eve I know right and then it just kept kind of going um, and it blew up for me I, I moved out of nightclubs into a more like corporate scene um, about th- two years in where I played at Chris and Beck's um, Jagged Launch that mm. was my first corporate gig and from there I got races um, the races off them and it just went crazy i think i was playing at like stereosonic and i was playing at like summer our future music festival and summer days mm. and i was like mm. i'm 19 like what 19 mm. or 20 like it was just it was like i was young i remember being really young we we're like this is so cool i'm playing like <laughs> a random stage where no one goes to at future music festival <laughs> it was the coolest thing because my name was on the flyer and then yeah so that kind of that really blew up that became really lucrative and i dropped out of like uni i was like I can do the fashion thing, but I don't need to because at the time I was working for Elaine Marshall, a mutual mm-hmm. friend of ours, Elaine mm-hmm. Marshall. I was assisting mm-hmm. her as well. So I was like, why am I still at fashion school when I'm, I'm in the industry already? I'm assisting this amazing <laughs> stylist and I'm like, I'm learning so much more here, like learning how to work with models and photographers and like mm-hmm. everyone. So that's kind of what happened. And then DJing just was, became this huge, I loved it so much. I remember loving playing so much. I still do. I get like these little like, where I just want to like jump on the decks for like a minute or like half an hour. And then I kind of go, "Mm, I remember why I moved on from this. Because I really loved playing in front of a crowd and I loved being able to control how people felt. But at the same time, whenever I stood up there towards the end, I was like, what am I doing? Like am I actually doing anything that like I can really, I don't know. I wanted to leave. I've always wanted to kind of leave something an impact on someone somewhere. Um, and I feel as though that was never going to lead to that. I wanted to, I don't know. I just, I, it's so weird to say, I want to change the world. (laughs) But like in the last year, it's become more apparent that that's really what I want to do. And Mm. it it doesn't mean that, oh, I'm going to, I want to become prime minister. It's like more like, I want to shift the way people think, even if it's a tiny bit, even if it's a half a degree, like any single thing that I can do that will lead to something that I'm really proud of, I want to do. And Mm. that's kind of why that all started. It was me shifting mentally out of the party boy, like, early 20s. Yeah. Mm. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, that makes total sense. I mean, I will say, though, you are one of my favourite DJs <laughs> because you play the best tunes ever and you look like you have so much fun mm, up there as well. I remember so um, when I messaged you because you were already coming to the wedding, I was yeah. like, please play at our wedding. <laughs> yeah. You're my favourite. You're like, fine. <laughs> um, yeah. See, weddings always scared me um, yeah. because it's that day that could like I think a bad set on your wedding day could really ruin your day <laughs> I just feel that oh way because I'm, I'm like music is like so important on a wedding and like there's so many people involved and I'm like I don't want that pressure like what if I ruin someone's wedding so I used to just hate it like I would like mm. I played I think two weddings before I did yours I played like mm. Jesse Murphy's and like mm. a random one um mm. and I was like the random one was what, what really scared me because I remember being there and then we're like so the oldies want some 80s and I was like <laughs> if you guys could see Khan's face right now, he's like, uh-uh. No, oh, I just was like, I don't have the music and I'm not, I'm not comfortable yeah. because I can't give you, like, the reason that I used to love DJ is because I knew where every single beat came in on every mm. song that I played. I knew when mm. to, like, I knew that, like, going from, I don't know, Alicia Keys, no one, I knew when to turn the music off because I knew that people will start singing at this one particular moment. If I'm <laughs> unfamiliar with the music, I feel very uncomfortable. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, you um, you absolutely killed it. Um, Thank you. Killed it at my wedding, just to, just to make yeah, sure you knew that. And because you're smiling <laughs> and dancing your wedding, the whole time. Just quickly, um, okay. guys, everyone listening at home, I asked Steph for a recipe two days before her wedding and I'm just so oh thankful gosh. for that. I sent her a message and it was literally like the Thursday night being like, hey, Steph, I'm writing a cookbook and I know it's your wedding in two days, but do you guys want to put a recipe in it? And I was like, oh, my gosh, she's going to be like, what am I dealing with right now? Like, what no, am I doing? not at all. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> but um, thank you for that. Thank you so much. Of course. No, thank you. <laughs> So, speaking of recipes and yes. your recipe book, your career has changed quite a bit since your first time on MasterChef. How's it all been? Uh, um, incredible. The best thing that I've mm. ever done in my life. I don't regret it. I would do it again. I've already done it again. I would do it again. <laughs> I would do it another five times. It uh, MasterChef, if anyone is thinking about doing it, should 100% apply. Mm. Um it's fun. If and nothing else, it's just fun. It's an experience that is just you will you share that experience with the twenty three other people you have with you in that season, and that's all that it is. I was lucky enough to do it again, and this mm. season was even better. But it's completely life changing. I went to DJing at music festivals and at nightclubs to then having my own restaurant, um, mm, hosting crazy. my own TV show, <laughs> um, writing a cookbook. And now writing a novel, like it's just none of that. I don't think could have happened without this first little like thing. And I don't say that like our oh, Master Chef was like every single thing, but it was a really important thing because it mm. completely changed the trajectory of my career, and my life. Mm. Yeah, because I always knew you had an interest in cooking, but I suppose I didn't know to that level. And then when I yeah. saw you on the show the first time around, and then I show you, you were sharing so much of even what you were cooking at home and stuff. Mm. I was just like, yeah, as I said, I knew I had an idea that you loved food, but like to that extent and to that skill, I was so impressed. Have you always been into cooking? Yeah, so food has always been um, a massive part of my life, and um, 
it's where I kind of rebonded with mum um, and where I first had that relationship with my mum was um, they would work, my parents would work a lot and I would come home after school and sit on the kitchen counter and watch mum cook and sometimes beat <laughs> eggs for her, sometimes slice things for her or whatever. Or The one thing that I actually always remember doing was carving pumpkins because she hated cutting <laughs> pumpkins for some reason. I remember I always had to do it. And it was like... It is very annoying. <laughs> <laughs> I'd probably what does pass that mean? Peel I'd it? pass it off too. Yeah, getting rid of the skin on the pumpkins. It's very hard. It's hard. Very it's strong. It's, skin very, it's very hard. You're right. <laughs> um, yeah, and so that's kind of where that love of food began. And then um, it be it was something I was always doing dinner parties from the age of like sixteen. I was having friends like over for dinner parties. When I moved out, I was like doing massive dinner parties. I think Elizabeth, Tara, our friends, uh, they've been there. Uh, they've all come to the parties like where I would be making like twenty different things, and it, it was just. It was just my happy place. It was always my happy place. When I was DJing on the weekends, I would go hiking and look for mushrooms and then cook it. And like, that was where... So, oh my God, this is so... Okay, this is great. You know when you're hungover and you just want bad food? Yeah. When I'm hungover, I just want to cook. Like, that's <laughs> nice. all I want to do. But like, I'm not talking like, I won't make a sandwich. I'll literally go to the market. So... This used to happen every Saturday and Sunday. I would go to the market, buy heaps of ingredients and make like eight dishes and be like, this is what I made today. Not going to eat any of it though because I don't <laughs> want to eat it. I, all I wanted to do at the time was cook. Um, and it got to this extent where all my gays, all the boys, if I was out with them at Puff Dulf, then they would be texting me the next day be like, what are you making today? And I'm like, right, this is what I'm cooking. You can come around. Um, but then, like, I think about it a lot and I think I think what I loved about cooking when I'm hungover is that it be, it's very automatic for me. So I'll just go and buy things and I won't have to think about it. I'll just stand there chopping things and, like, throwing things into a pan. And it became very automated. But I would feel like I've achieved something that day. <laughs> and so that's why I used to do it. Um, that's where that love kind of came about as well. Like, I, I, it was just, like, an ongoing thing. And then when I thought about MasterChef, I was like, I'm not going to go on MasterChef. Like, they're making, like, spheres. But I don't know how to do that. Like, I don't really know. Like, I don't know. I do not know. And um, it was actually Sarah and Nick Davidson, Sarah Holloway and Nick Davidson, that kind of pushed me um, really hard to do it. And they, they actually helped me with my audition tape and everything. Oh, good. And, um, yeah, and then I got through the first round. Um, I went in and had to cook in front of producers completely screwed it up completely burnt the chicken like did chicken two ways burn the chicken the sauce was off my salad my peanuts were not peeled and there were like shells still on it I was like what am I doing <laughs> and I was sitting in that standing in that room and they're like how like your dish and I was like yeah they're like what's wrong with your dish and I was like the it needs more acidity um, the peanuts should have been peeled but I, I ran out of time my chickens burn at the bottom but not the top so if you eat around the top of the drumstick you'll be fine <laughs> um, and then I was sitting in that, this room waiting for them to be like oh who's getting through and they go oh only one person got through today and I was like oh I burnt my chicken and I didn't peel peanuts and not gonna happen and then I got through to the next round where I had to cook my... And I was like, what the fuck just happened? Like, what the fuck? Like, I don't know what just happened. Um, um, I spoke to um, one of the producers at the time, uh, who was one of the producers at the time, who's become one of my good friends, and she said, that day we put you through because you knew exactly what was wrong with your dishes. You knew exactly how to fix it. And you, you knew... We could tell that you could cook. You weren't lying to us. You were 
honest and that's what we wanted we could see that there was going to be growth there and I was like okay cool <laughs> um, so yes, then I then I auditioned in front of the judges and I like shat myself like fifteen times, <laughs> like during cooking. I cut my hand, I sliced my hand open. I um I had made this dish like probably like forty five times before actually making it for the judges. So much that I hated it by the time I brought it to the judges. Like I was like looking at the dish, and being like, this sucks. Like it's pork belly and like some cucumbers. This sucks. Um, <laughs> got in and they were really happy with it and that journey began and every single moment since like literally every single step away I made it into like top 24 and I was like yay they made it into like top 12 and I was like holy fuck what is going on made it into top 10 and it just kept going and it hasn't really stopped since and it's just like every single thing that happens now I'm just like whoa Mm -hmm. like this is really cool and I never thought ask me this three years ago never thought I would have been in here no like not at all like ever but I, yeah. I think you, you work so hard to make it happen. And, and I know you said before that without MasterChef, like that was kind of the start of everything for you. But I think from hearing your story, you create your own opportunities. I mean, you can't just get onto MasterChef. It's yeah. This, you know, there's other cooking shows that are easier to get onto, but MasterChef. <laughs> shady! <laughs> She's so shady. It's that has to stay in the podcast because that is going to be the little bit that I put up. <laughs> send you the audio <laughs> but I mean it's true MasterChef you, you can't just go on and just think you're going to get through all your opportunities it just seems like yes you've you've take them but you create them and I think that's really uh, really special mm-hmm. and something that um, is so inspirational and important for people to know because it, with your story you haven't waited for anything to come to you you've gone yeah. and done it and you can't just go on MasterChef and just have one dish in your mind and think oh, I'm not going to work hard for it like I bet you prepared like every single day for hours every yeah. single day yeah. um, and, and it, it's so special to hear that and it, you're such an incredible role model and I mean that's why you've gone on not, not many people go on a reality TV would you even call I mean, it is a reality is, TV show, is, but I feel is. like it's like a very high caliber reality <laughs> TV show. Not that the other ones aren't. <laughs> really? Oh, wow. <laughs> but it is, it's really just about the cooking, which is incredible. Mm. And that's why you've been able to create, you know, you've had your TV show, incredible. And then your, your book and um, everything else you've done in your restaurant. What made you go on again for the second time? Because I feel like you, you've established so much already and, and your career was already going and going and going. What made you go on the second time? I went on because I'm a dumbass. Like, <laughs> 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 I remember thinking the whole time, like, when, we got, when I got the phone call, I was like, they're like, it's highly confidential, so you can't talk to anyone about this. And I was like, all right, well, then I'm not doing it. Like, if I can't <laughs> ask anyone about any of this, then I'm not going to do it because... Like, my life is now not just me. I have a business partner that I have to think about. Like, I've got, like, a production company that want to do, like, more shows with me. Like, there's, it's more than just this now. Like, and they're like, okay, you can talk to your manager and you can talk to your business partner. I was like, cool, I need a week. Um, and I literally spoke to Greg, who is my business partner, the George, and I was like, what do you think? And he goes, it's a no-brainer. You should 100% do it. And I was like, what if I come last? He's like, you're not going to come last. And I was like what if I do will that completely change everything will everything that I've worked for for the last year and a bit completely go and he goes it's not going to happen I was like what if it does <laughs> like I was like no no one can guarantee that you're not going to get eliminated first like no one can especially on a season of returning freaking mm. Reynold and returning Poe and returning like mm. like every single person that I used to look up to when I was watching it 
is back and I'm going to be competing against them. I didn't know these people were on, but like in my head, I was like, it's the all-stars of the all-stars. I'm like, I'm looking at everyone. I'm going, no, can't compete. But the biggest reason why I went back is I'm, I'm, I hate missing out. Mm. I hate it. No, and it's the the honest truth. That was the the final change. So I said no three times. And like, because everyone kept saying do it. And then every time I said to someone, what happens if this happens? They're like, oh, that is a big risk. And I said it to mum. And because mum pushed it. And then she, as soon as I said, what if I come 24th? And she went, you shouldn't go. You shouldn't go. And I was like, see? Like, it's actually a lot more complicated than this. But then at the end of the day, it was when it was... I think I was the last person to actually sign my contract. I think I was... Mm. Like, they told me that the reason that none of us knew any of the other contestants were was because I hadn't signed my contract. So they couldn't release the list to the contestants. Um, I just didn't want to miss out. Um, The first experience was incredible. It wasn't just the meeting of people. It was the skills that you learn on the show. Mm. Um, Mm. I thought going on MasterChef that I was, like, an amazing cook the first time. I thought that. And then once once I had finished, I was like, I went into the competition skill level 3 out of 10. 100%. I went in with skill level 3 out of 10. And it grew. Because Mm. you're put into a situation where you're spending six months doing nothing but talking, eating, and cooking food. Like, you don't do anything. You study the entire time. Every single day, if you're not cooking, someone else is cooking and you're watching them cook and you go, mm. that's interesting. So put yourself in any situation where you have to do something for six months. You're probably going to be pretty amazing at it by the end. As in, like, if you spent six months learning how to play basketball, you're probably going to know how to play basketball really well. <laughs> um, yeah, so that was kind of the reason. I kind of... I didn't want to miss out. I didn't want to miss out on learning. I didn't want to miss out on making new friends. And I just... I'm so happy that I didn't say no that final time when they were like, okay, this is your final time that we're going to ask you now. Are you going to do it or not? Yeah, good. Yeah. Yeah. And the show has had quite a big change, obviously, with the judges and just... You know, it's so new and fresh. What's how does it feel to be? Is it is it any different to you, or is it the same kind of vibe as the first season you went? It's completely different. Um, no one sees us as contestants this time, mm. um, which is a weird thing to say. And I'm not talking about like the public. I'm talking about crew, judges, mm. every single person that we interact with. No one sees us as contestants. I don't want to use this word because it's like. It's eye-twitching. But they all see us, us as talent, which means there's a, mm. there's a higher level of respect there. And it's like mm-hmm. our, our feelings, what, what we say is taken on board. So um, beforehand, it was kind of like, be here at this time, you can go to the toilet at this moment, ask us mm. before you can go to the bathroom. Now it's kind of like, I, that's, I know that's such a, such a tiny thing, but when someone has to control the schedule that you can go to the bathroom, that's mm-hmm. crazy. But this mm. time around, it was kind of like, your challenge starts in 10 minutes. Okay, I'm just going to run to the bathroom. And uh, you just go. It wasn't like a, may I please go to the bathroom now? It was just mm-hmm. like, it, I know that's a tiny thing, but it's like this respect that is so important to keeping us sane that we don't mm-hmm. feel like we're being herded around like cattle. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that's changed a lot. The judges, oh my freaking God, how amazing <laughs> is Melissa Leong? Yes, she is. How incredible. Like, how, like, I I didn't even think that the show needed her until we got her. 
like until I saw her like even being there during the time I was like this is yeah she's incredible but then watching her I'm like you're incredible like you are like this breath of fresh air like the old judges are incredible like they're amazing I love them to bits but Melissa is just so different um Mm. Jock is the scariest daddy I've ever met. Like, <laughs> like I love him so much, but at the same time, I'm like, please like my dish. <laughs> like, uh, um, Andy just is like, uh, Andy, I, I love Andy because he knows what we've been through. Like, that's kind of like why I think he was really good for the role. But Melissa was, is my highlight, was my highlight. Mm. Um... I'm so sorry, Laura. <laughs> um, no. Oh, you have to give something away. Yeah, but that's fine. I, I, I like knowing things. Oh, yeah. They so, guys, anyway. so, guys, just a bit of context. Um, <laughs> so, we are recording this prior to when it goes live, obviously, as we usually do. And Khan had to give me a call the other day because he knew how big of a fan Laura was and was like, I need to tell her because this is going to come, this is going to go live after something quite important happens on the show. So I'm going to need to break it to you on this. And I was like, it's fine. She can do it. I'm ready. I'm ready. (laughs) She's ready. So I get eliminated. (laughs) Oh my God. How much am I going to (laughs) cry? You're going to cry because everyone cried. Oh, guys. Um, and th- the only reason I'm talking about this now is um, Melissa cried. Like, she bawled. And mm. it's, it, oh, man, that, it'll be so funny if they don't air it. And I'm just like, <laughs> no, this didn't happen now. <laughs> um, but on the day, um, it was quite an emotional day for me because I was up against my three best friends in the competition. So it was a two-round elimination. Um, and... Laura, Amelia, Reynolds, and myself found us us in the bottom four. Reynolds, Laura, Amelia, and myself had dinner three, four nights a week during the competition. Every weekend we would play board games together. We got really tight. I remember during the competition, uh, um, during that one episode, I even turned to Reynolds at one point being like, because we knew we were in the bottom, and we're like, thank God Laura and Amelia aren't here with us. I said that to him, and then when the judges announced that it was going to be the four of us, three of us cried. Reynold doesn't really cry. So Reynold didn't cry. He was just sitting there sad. But Amelia, um, Laura and I were all crying because we were like, one of us is going. Like, there's nothing we can do about it. It's like uh, we were supposed to make it towards the end altogether Mm -hmm. and it didn't happen. Um, And then when we left, um, it was between Laura and I. And when I looked over, she was just bawling. And I was like, this sucks. If she leaves... It's going to be fucked. If I leave, it's going to be fucked. Like, either way, it's going to suck. Um, and, I, and I remember when I left... It's so weird to talk about because I, you don't, you guys don't know what I'm talking about because you haven't seen this part. But um, So, yeah. basically, I, I speak about the fact that I'm having a really bad day, but this isn't the worst day that I've ever had. Um, I'm sad, but at the same time, there is so much happening in the world that is sadder than what I'm going through. And it's, oh... Ah, on this one day but um so it was I said basically whoever needs to know this that um you go through your ups and your downs and it's kind of part of life and you just have to deal with it mm-hmm. um it's always going to get better and you just have to be thankful for everything because it all leads in a direction that is life and it's what we need to deal with and you just need to remember that 
you will have bad days, but that you are loved and that there is kindness everywhere. And, like, your experiences are incredible. And, the, like, I just... Re- I, it was really... It was a hard day for me to leave. But at the same time, I cared more about the fact that we were in the middle of COVID and I was mm. totally obsessed with MasterChef. And there's nothing wrong with that. But at the same time, there is so much happening. The restaurant is closed. Like, mm. there are people dying. People are getting sick. We can't leave our homes. And mm. I think it was very selfish if I made it completely about being eliminated because we can't pretend that we aren't, we weren't living in the world that we were currently living in. And I think it's even more important right now with Black Lives Matters and, like, mm. that I, I really hope that that goes to air because I feel as though it's needed for viewers. Um, mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Oh, I'm I'm really sad. And I, I think is that episode tonight? No, no. Okay, um, it's okay. Sunday. Okay. Oh goodness, it's going to be a lot on a Sunday night. Okay. <laughs> um, but I, I, as you said, it, it's 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 so important. But um, yeah, I um I've just loved watching it, and I think you can tell. I, I think the reason I've enjoyed watching it so much more this season is because of the respect that everyone has for each other. You can actually see yeah. it through the screen, and everyone really does want the best for each other. And I feel like sometimes, not not on MasterChef, but on on some reality TV shows, it's like people are trying to get others to say things just for the drama, but. It, there's none of that. No. It's just really supportive, which is amazing. And we'd love to know what's the main thing being on MasterChef, I mean, in both seasons, has taught you about yourself? Oh, that I actually work pretty well under pressure for one. Yeah, um, <laughs> I do. Like, um, MasterChef has taught me actually so much. I think MasterChef has made me... 100% sure I, I learned this about halfway through last season that I want to work solely in food like I'm, I'm obsessed with it it makes me so happy and like it got to a point I think where last year when I was like I don't even care if I make no money <laughs> like I literally sat there mm. thinking I am so happy not to make money as long as I just survive if I get to do this forever mm. like I'm okay with it and um and COVID actually, MasterChef during COVID has taught me that even more. Um, mm. I've realised where I want to be, where I want to go in my life and what's important to me. And food has always been that, but it's education. Um, it's about the experiences that food kind of gives you as well that's made me really fall, fall in love with it. So MasterChef has just really taught me that I am actually in love with food and, like, yeah, and cuisine and just, like, learning more about it. It just makes me so happy. Oh, I love... The show is so good. Like, it's just <laughs> so good. Uh, like, I, like, I think... if No, I don't think you could find a poster child for the show better than me just because of how much I loved my experiences both times. Like, I, I know that some people come out and they say things about the show. Like, they go, oh, like, this is done, that's done. I'm like, I totally disagree. Do you... On Sundays, the challenge, the pie challenge, Laura. Did you see the pie challenge on Sunday? Did you miss Sunday? Uh, yeah, I missed it. I did. Okay. I did. Okay. I did. On, last Sunday, the Sunday before this, um, the, the, there was a pie challenge and I was safe. What you don't see on TV is me breaking down upstairs. Um, and they don't actually show me on the gantry much because a producer came up and tried to ask me questions and I basically said, I can't do it today. 
I can't. I don't deserve to be up here. I don't. I. I. I don't want to have a conversation with you about this. I don't want this to go to air, please. And he was just like, "You're fine. We won't. We won't mm-hmm. film you today. You won't play a part mm-hmm. in this storyline." And I appreciated that so much. Um, mm. And I don't think many TV shows would have done that. As oh. in, they would have been like, "Khan is having a like a mental breakdown." We're going to get it on camera. But they were like, no, mm. we're leaving it. Mm. It's yeah. really good to hear. Yeah. So it's just, they, they're just really nice. Like, it's just really, really nice. Mm. It's it's really nice to see light up and, like, enjoy talking about it so much. It's it's quite obvious how, how good of an experience it has been. I yeah. Think both times for you seeing yeah. you talk about mm. it. Um, and with this season, there's been a lot online and in the media about the amount of Asian representation on yeah. this season. How do you feel ma- about that? Sorry, I was just making sure that... Um, it's still like recording. The, <laughs> we're still recording because I was like, oh, my God, what happens? Um, how incredible. Like, mm. one, having Melissa as a judge... And then mm-hmm. having Brendan, Sarah, Jess, Poe, like, Amina. It's... The representation has been huge, not even just for multiculturalism, but, like, for the LGBTQI plus community. Mm-hmm. Courtney, mm-hmm. Brendan, Reese, myself. Like, mm-hmm. it has just... And what I loved about it was that none of us were the bitchy one. Like, none mm. of us... Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I mean? Like, none, no one played into any of these stereotypes that are really, uh, like, associated with being either gay or Asian mm. or a lesbian. It was kind of like, we're just normal people. <laughs> like, uh, mm-hmm. I'm like, Reese and I are sassy, but that's okay. It wasn't like we were never mm-hmm. bitchy and we were never, like, whatever. It was just... It is so important for the world for Australia but the world because the show is so international to kind of see that like there are so many different facets of cultures and also identities mm. and things like that that like are important to show and I think that's what, where I what I wanted to push as well is because um, I found that like even looking at podcasts or watching other TV shows I'm like okay so you either cast a guy a gay man that is really muscly or a queen that is really, really tiny and it's just, like, mm. quite bitchy and outspoken. Like, there is mm. nothing in between. Like, mm. there was nothing. And I was just so happy that there was so much in between. Like, between... There's differences between Reese, myself, and Brendan and that are clear. Brendan's quiet, like, well-mannered, like, softly spoken. And Reese is uh, sassy and, like a lot more confident now than he was in his, the last season and you can see that and then I'm just like screaming the whole time like <laughs> I'm just screaming um, but yeah it's like there's so many different facets to that and and, and with Asian cuisine um, Melissa doesn't speak about it as this is Southeast Asian she goes this is from this part of Thailand and from this is generally from the northern part of Thailand because the chilies are like this and I'm like you're so incredible and knowledgeable <laughs> and it's just but that's important as well because like I, I, I was in, in, there was a Thai challenge where everyone was commenting saying of course Khan's going to lead this challenge he's Vietnamese and I was like what the fuck did you just say? Like, well, how did that make any sense to mm. anything, single thing? That's like freaking like saying, oh, there's a Greek challenge and I don't know, like Laura's going to be amazing at it because she's Italian. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah like, I know. are you wow. dumb? Like, are you yeah. actually dumb? Like, I'm like, like, that's what I want people to kind of see more of, that like there is a very distinct difference in cuisine mm. and culture mm. and flavour profiles mm. 
they use palm sugar in Thailand. They don't use palm sugar in Vietnam at all because it doesn't grow in Vietnam. Like, mm-hmm. the use of the sauces, they're different. The Thai fish sauce is completely different to the Vietnamese fish sauce. Um, Thailand is usually a little bit warmer, so their salads have more fruit in them. Like, there's little things that, like, make cuisine different that I feel like people don't understand. They just think Southeast Asia is the same. And I'm like, it's not. Like, they're like, mm-hmm. you can feed me something and I can tell you pretty much what the flavour profile is, even though it's very similar, because there's little things that change mm-hmm. it. Anyway, that's me ranting on about food. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know? But you know what the best thing about that is? Is that I mean, it's not good at all. But that comment only came from the outside public. It wasn't obviously made on the show. No, no. it's so true that no one has been put in a box in any way whatsoever. No, everyone is just a person, and it's yeah, it is. It is. It's so incredible. And now we would love to touch on the t-shirt that you're wearing now um, and the t-shirt that you wore in every single episode and I just think it's just incredible that you thought to use the opportunity to go Mm -hmm. on TV not for yourself you know you're not making money on these t-shirts it's all been donated to Minus 18 which is just incredible Can, can you tell us about that and how you thought of it? Um, so I when I knew that I was coming back on the show I knew that I wanted to send a message um I was going to have multiple different shirts that had little, like, different stories behind all of them, but I was like, I don't think I'm going to do that. So instead, I'm like, what does the world need right now? And I remember thinking, like, I just feel like we need to be loved. Like, everyone needs to be loved. And I know that that's, like, so simple, but I think it's as pure as it could be. Or when you come down to the final messaging, whatever it is, it comes down to the fact that we all should just be loved. And I was like, okay, we're doing it. It's called You Are Loved. We looked it up. It wasn't anywhere. I was like, cool, it's mine. I'm taking it. Mm -hmm. I'm doing it. Didn't think that I was actually going to raise any money towards charity. I thought that it was just going to be a little messaging that I would have um, just for the viewers at home. Just a little reminder. That's why it's quite small because I just wanted to sit above the, uh, um, the apron but be like not in your face. It was just a little subtle nod and a little reminder. But then about a week into the show, I was like, if I stay for at least like four weeks, I think that it's going to make enough of an impact where I can actually make a little bit of a difference. And I thought of so many different charities, but the one that really stood out to me was Minus 18 because I've been there. I've went, I've been to their events. They helped me, helped support me when I was 16, 17, 18, and I loved them. And I felt like that was never highlighted, as in, like, they're not a charity that people really know about or an organisation that people know about. But it's important because I think your teenage years are what moulds you. And I always say this to my friends. I'm like, gay guys act a certain way in their early 20s because they lose their teenage years. They're, they're, they're uncomfortable in their teenage years. They're not, they're, they're not able to be themselves in their teenage years. They're hidden away. So when can you act like a teenager? When you're in your early 20s and you're running rampant around nightclubs and just, like, living <laughs> your best life. Um, and I'm like, so it's important that those teenage years are actually made comfortable and made mm. to feel like you're not different and even if you are it's a difference that people love about you um because I think that's the scariest thing when I was younger it was like okay I've come out but now what like who do I speak to what do I do like I am different in an environment where I think there's only one other gay guy at the school um 
And then I went to minus and I was really worried about going there the first time because I thought that it was just going to be like, in my head, it was going to be like an AA meeting where we all sat around and we spoke about being gay and how sad we were. Um, (laughs) And it was like, not that at all. (laughs) It was like beautiful and everyone was like happy and we were there just to be like oh where are you from what do you do what do you want to do oh we, 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 we went on picnics we went on like um random excursions and like we just met meet each other it was just like it was just a really lovely experience it was just it's needed i feel like the lgbtqi plus community has a lot of support but every kind of little bit counts and mm. so like so far by the time that this comes out, I would have saw, we would have raised, well, it would have been 3,000 T-shirts, which is 30,000, but I think it, it's mm-hmm. going to end up being 35,000 because um, we always said that we would always give $10 per T-shirt, thinking that what if things go wrong and we need to pay for extra T-shirts? So we always had a little bank of 3 or $4 per T-shirt, but at the end, it was always going to go to minus it was just a little kind of kitty there just in case anything happened like we had to pay for uh, we had to pay for lawyers because there was a copycat site that went up and it was like i had to get like dealt with they were really nice they they actually didn't charge me much for it and i was really surprised like oh you're doing it for charity we can't really make money off you um good but yeah it was like yeah so it was like um yeah, there was been like six or seven copycat sites that they don't just say you are loved. That if you Google Kardong, you are loved. There's copycat sites, and I'm like, this is for charity. You horrible people! Mm. Like you mm. absolutely horrible people. They're like, you just want to make money off something that is for charity, and they undercut me. And they're like, it's twenty five dollars, and I'm like, what are you doing? Anyway, mm. little more little rant about <laughs> things that are <laughs> happening in the world. <laughs> completely, completely warranted though. That's horrible. <laughs> yeah. Um, but they, they've been them? an amazing organisation. I'm working with them um, more about how to see how the money is going to be spent because they're mm-hmm. like thirty something thousand dollars is huge for us. And I was like, yeah, oh. it's, I, I don't know what to do with this. Like, I'm like, so they, they, yeah, so they're, they're doing a lot of um, more online events, and I think we're working on more things that don't require people to come in just because of mm. the restrictions we currently have. But they, they held a, they used to hold this ball at the end of the year and I think they're like, oh, this pretty much funds multiple of them for us. And it's um it's for kind of kids that don't really have the opportunity to go to formal or prom to kind of mm. go because maybe they don't feel comfortable going with their partner. Oh, I love I that so much. Yeah, and I went to that when I was younger and I just think it's so, it's so important. It's mm. it's just so important. And they're like people are just so lovely and they're so nice. And they said if you come in, we have a wall that's painted rainbow. And I was like, I would love to. <laughs> oh. oh, that um, that's so special. Uh, and I have I've got a pink one. I love it. There's so many colors. I I love all the color options. Yeah. Um, and and I, I love wearing it because I feel like when you mm. wear it, you're kind of giving something to others just in yeah. case they read it. it yeah. It's so special. And something kind that we we just admire so much in you is, is how you wear your heart on your sleeve. Um, obviously, from this podcast, anyone listening will, will know that. Do you do that consciously, or is that in you? Uh, kind of just what you want to do. I react like <laughs> it took. I, I, it, some of the contestants. It took a little while. I, a little, Laura and Amelia actually at the beginning were like, "You're acting," and I'm like. <laughs> Okay, cool. And then by the end, they're like, you're not acting. You actually react to every single thing that happens. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, that's just how I am. I've got a very motor face. I'm really, like, over time, I've 
really learned to appreciate my feelings because the, well, however you feel is always valid. Mm-hmm. And you need to understand that, that you are never wrong for feeling a certain way because there are things that have led you to feeling that way. So if you're sad, there is a reason why you're sad. If you feel like someone's upset you and you're angry at them, there's a reason why that's happened. And maybe you need to speak that through and that like, maybe it was a miscommunication, but all of your feelings are always valid. And I f- like, and I've always kind of been like that, but like in the last four or five years or so, it's become a lot more that I'm, I don't see it as being weak. I see it as being important. Mm. Um, I used to do this thing where I was, when I got really emotional, I would sit and listen to Adele in my bathtub and cry. <laughs> I've kind of stopped doing that. I might do it again because I'm breaking down a lot more. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, um, emotions are really important. They kind of, when you bottle everything up, it will always erupt. It will always happen, and I felt that when it happened with my mum and I, when I didn't deal with something, it kind of all came out Mm. over this fight where I ended up scratching my body all over because I rolled out of a stupid car because (laughs) I'm an angsty (laughs) 15-year-old. But but now it's kind of like I used to... I honestly used to see it as weakness, and now I don't. I'm like, if, if I see someone cry, I don't go, it's weak. I think it's more... It's strong. I see it as strength because I'm like, you're in touch with something deep, deeper. Like there's a reason why you feel this way. And I, I, I still try to hide it sometimes on camera because I don't want to be the person that cries in every episode, but I actually probably did cry in every single elimination. And every time my friends went into an elimination. Um, but yeah, I really think that it's something that I think a lot more people should be in touch with. Um, I think be happy, be angry, be sad. It's, all valid, really, really valid. Mm, absolutely. No, I think it's important that you, that you showed it and that you continue to show it. And it's, um, as you said, I think more people should be that in touch with their feelings and not afraid to, to show their emotions. Um, to um, make this a little bit more fun, there was um, there was a time <laughs> where I was crying. I was, I, that, oh, the family episode, um, I was c- crying and then when I had finished filming, we went to the green room and I was howling. Like, I was howling. Like, I was howling. <laughs> and I remember Amelia and Laura walking up to me and going, is this real or fake? And then I looked up and I went, oh. <laughs> They're like, oh, shit, it's real. Oh, shit, it's real. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, I love them. Anyway, that's a little bit of a pick-me-up right at the end. <laughs> Well, I, I, we want to, before we finish up, we, we have two more questions for you. And Sorry, one of them I've is the time. other day. No, no, no. We love it. Um, the other day you called and you spoke about how you, exactly what you touched on earlier in the podcast, that you mm. feel like you want to be doing things more um, for the world or for, you know, ha- have some sort of purpose. What do you think your purpose is or might be in life? My purpose in life um there's so much. I, I'm a storyteller. Like 100% mm-hmm. I'm a storyteller. I, I, my experiences are experiences that I didn't even think were important until very recently. And I think that my next thing is I need to share that. Um, I've done that mm-hmm. a little bit now, but I want to do that more. So the next step is the novel. It's all literally, it's hard. It's been hard to write because there are moments in it where I'm like, whoa, I was four years old and I felt like the poorest person. Um, We were struggling to eat and we had to share 
like a four egg omelet and some white rice between a family. Mm. Like it's like there are moments in there that I like that are really hard, but I feel as though I think that it's going to make a lot of sense to a lot of people, especially that the refugee and asylum seeker kind of story is um, one that is so familiar to so many different people. And mm. I think people will really be receptive of that and really love it. And if you haven't, if you don't have those experiences, I'm hoping that it teaches you that it's not a card that people pull to be like, feel sorry for me. Because mm-hmm. I never touched it until this season. Like, we always mm-hmm. brushed past it. It was never going to be a token thing. Um, and I think that's important. That, like, a lot of the times people don't even feel comfortable speaking about things like that because they feel like you're doing it for sympathy. Like, I know that when I was younger, I didn't want to speak about certain things because I didn't want to feel sympathy. I didn't want people to feel mm-hmm. sorry for me. And I think that that's important that I kind of change the way of thinking that these stories aren't for sympathy. They're for empowerment and they're important mm. and they're strong. Mm. Oh, that's so special. And um, the last question, Khan, is, and it might be tied into to what you just said, but if you could tell, um, send a message mm. to your 18-year-old self, what would it be? Oh, 18. Okay. Oh, I was wild then. <laughs> I was like, what could I tell myself that I would actually believe? <laughs> I would say, oh, I was good with my mum then. I was like, you just need to be nicer to your mum. Definitely. Mm. You need to be nicer mm. to your mum. You are starting, but you need to work faster. You need to work harder. Um, you will fall in love <laughs> with food mm-hmm. and <laughs> and not in the way that you think. Like, you need to explore that so much more and don't be afraid don't like literally don't be afraid to talk about like your experiences about being gay Mm. and being like Mm. don't be afraid to talk about it because it's so important and you might think that people will think you're preaching but I don't think that now and I don't think Mm. that you should because I honestly believe that it's an important message an important story that needs to be told and also cut your freaking hair it looks so dumb (laughs) (laughs) It? it wasn't long. It was just really weird. Like it was like a, it was like like it was shorter than this, but it was like this. Uh, side fringe. Yeah, it was like side fringy, <laughs> and it had like tones of copper through it. And I'm like, why do you why do you have that? And it was like <laughs> <laughs> that is classic. <laughs> it was a nice way to end, you know. Well, we can't thank you enough, Khan. This has is, is been amazing and I'm, I'm really excited. As you said, I think your story and so much that you've been through mm. is not only empowering, but it's super educating as well. And I think um, one thing that I suppose before we finish that I wanted to mention was what I really liked when you said, you know, when we talked about your career and all the different things that you've done, you kind of giggled and I was like, yeah, I've done so many different things. Like nothing really like intertwines. But I think it's really important that someone who was incredibly successful you probably could have gone in many different directions when it comes to your career because of the position you put yourself in through hard work and you still went with your heart and you always Mm. ended up doing something that was good for you and and passionate for you and I just think that was that was really nice and I just hope that everyone listening understands that that necessarily you you might get an amazing underscore for example um and you might get into a really hard subject or an incredible career but if you're not happy you know don't be scared to 
try things. Yeah. Um, just to add on to that, I want people to kind of remember, because I've always been like this, is that your motivation should be your happiness. And I know mm. that that sounds really selfish, but it's not because even if it's when it's your family, like let's say you want to make your family happy because why? It makes you happy. Like your motivation mm. should be your own happiness because yeah. what's the point if we're not happy? And that's so mm. important. And that's something that I've learned in the last couple of years. <laughs> that is my motivation. And if you ever, you'll see it on any podcast, if you ask me what motivates me, it's my happiness. Mm. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> thank oh, you for the conversation. You, you guys are awesome. And I love you guys so much. <laughs> well, we love you very much. And, and thank you so much for sharing as, as much as you did. We appreciate it so much. Thank you. Well, we hope you guys enjoyed that chat as much as we did. I'm sure you did. I think it was hard to not enjoy that one. And and it was a long one, but there was just so much where we just wanted him to keep going and mm. keep going. And I think we could have happily sat there and chatted for another hour or so. So hope you guys enjoyed that. This is our last podcast for a little bit. Just two weeks. Just two weeks. <laughs> okay. But like we'll when you're back. in such a rhythm of like, yes. I mean, us obviously catching up each week to do this and recording and then it coming out. And it's just, um, it's funny going through a pattern like that. And then it's going to be on break for two weeks. <laughs> We'll be fine. Just sharing facts with you guys. Sorry, that anyway, was very random. We will be fine. But um, as we shared in at the start of the in, um the podcast, if you would like to sign up to Kick for fifty percent off, um, the code is valid for the next three days until the twentieth of June, and that is KickPod fifty. Um, you can sign up on our website at www.keepitcleaner.com.au, and we will see you in a couple of weeks. Yeah, we'll see you in a couple of weeks, guys. Enjoy. Bye. Bye.